John chapter 3, I want you to turn there with me today. The Gospel of John chapter 3 is where we will begin. Now, some people don't like messages that are lists. It's kind of hard to not give you these three weeks not going over a list, seeing we're covering 12 reasons. You know, when you say 12 reasons, it kind of gives itself to the idea of a list. Some people don't like it, and I personally like lists. I especially like lists when God gives them to us in the text. Isn't that great? And so uh, I love there are many passages for the pastor and for the preacher. It's great when you see it, and it's like this. God says this, and right afterwards this, and right afterwards this, and it's like, oh, thank you, Lord. You've given me the outline. It's a divine outline. You can't improve on it, and that is a blessing. Now, let me begin by saying this today, because this is even questioned today in the days in which we live. Life after death, okay? A lot of people say, well, I don't believe in there's life after death. I think when you're dead, you're dead. And you sort of like, you know, a squirrel gets run over on the street. It's just kind of like you're, you're gone. That's it. You're smushed, so to speak. No, friend, there's life after death. You might say, well, how do you know that? Well, because Jesus came back from the dead. It is a proven fact of history. It's not a fable. It's not made up. It's a fact. It is irrefutable. Many people down through the, the millennium here have tried to disprove the resurrection of Jesus, and they can't. Many people who have tried to disprove end up being believers in the resurrection. And so if Jesus came back from the dead, and he did, then obviously there's life after death. Do we understand that? Hope we get that. Now, there is life after death, and that being true, we need to realize (laughs) that if there's life after death, we're talking now about eternity, and eternity is a long time. Would you agree? Eternity is a long time. As a matter of fact, there's nothing longer because it's timeless and it goes on forever. Now, the Bible tells us that the greatest need mankind has is for mankind to be saved. And I like to define the terms. Now, we've already done that in this series, but just in case you haven't heard any of those or you're visiting with us today, when we talk about saved, the idea of being saved from something is being delivered from something. Being delivered from something terrible into a place of safety, something good, all right? So when we talk about, biblically speaking, being saved, we're talking about being saved from an eternity in a literal, conscious hell of suffering to living with God forever in his presence in the joy of the Lord in heaven. You might say, well, how do I get that, get get delivered from hell to heaven? How do I get saved from hell to heaven? Now, there's different aspects of salvation, by the way. That's not the only one, but, and we'll cover that in the future in this series. But how do you go from there to heaven? Well, I want to explain that to you. And in John chapter 3, it says in verse 16, for God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten son, that was Jesus, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have, you notice what it says? Everlasting life. Now the whole idea of is salvation permanent, that should be enough right there, John 3.16. It says if you believe you have everlasting life, any child can tell you what the word everlasting means. See, nowadays you have to go to seminary to get messed up on that. And I'm not against seminary per se, as long as it's a good one, but friend, listen, everlasting life, 
You last, ask the little children, how long is everlasting? Forever. Okay? Well, how long is that? Forever means forever, forever, forever. Okay? Does it ever stop? Well, no. Why not? Well, it wouldn't be forever. Right? But you talk to the educated and you say, well, how long is everlasting life? How long is everlasting? Well, <clears throat> Well, we know what it looks like on the surface, but it doesn't mean what it says. Well, we've got problems if our words don't mean what they mean, okay? We've got serious problems. No, everlasting life is exactly that. Let me explain it to you, friend, and I'll show you right now, I'll explain how and why everlasting life is everlasting and how you can have it. Look up here, let me illustrate it. If this hand were to represent you and me, and we're gonna let this wallet represent sin, okay? Here we are. We are all sinners according to what the Bible says. We've all done things wrong. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Bible says God loves us. He hates our sin. He loves us, okay? God loves us, and that includes you, and that includes me. Now, God says we've sinned, and he also says that our sin has to be paid for. He's a God of not only love and grace. He's also a God of justice and holiness, If I was to say to you, do you believe that somebody who breaks the law, let's say somebody who robs a bank or murders somebody or something, do you believe that person ought to be punished, that justice should be doled out to that person? I believe most of you would say, well, yes, absolutely, I believe that. Well, guess what? Anything we do contrary to the word of God, violating his word is sin. We fall short of what God wants. We fall short of his glory, okay? We miss the mark of God's perfection. That's what the word sin means. So we're all sinners. And God says, because we've sinned, we've broken his laws, his commandments, that sin has to be paid for. He's a God of justice. And he says the wages or the payment or the penalty of sin would be death. It's a death payment. By the way, every sin brings with it the death penalty, according to God. And if we were to die and pay for our own sin, we'd spend forever separated from God in hell. Now, God doesn't want that for us. He wants us to live with him forever in heaven. But the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that heaven's a perfect place. And for us to get in, guess what? We've got to be perfect. We've got to be sinless. We've got a problem. We're sinners. So then how in the world are we going to get to heaven if we're sinners and our sin condemns us and if we die with that condemnation, we'll be lost forever. No second chances, by the way. No second chances. And say, what about reincarnation? Reincarnation, no. Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And you know what? I don't want to come back as a pig anyway, (laughs) or a monkey, or something like that. No. God is something better. Most people think this. They say, well, you know, okay, I'm a sinner, and I get that. But you know what? If I promise to reform my life, I'm going to promise God I'm going to stop all my sinning. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to go every week to church. I'm going to give money. I'm going to get water baptized. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do all these good things. Certainly, that counts for something. It's good to do all those things. We believe in that. But friend, it won't take your sin away. The sin's got to be gone. And God said the only thing is death. Death is the payment. So, we've got a problem. What are we going to do? Our good works won't do it. Now, your good works might cover it, but it's still there. It's got to be gone. So, what are we going to do? There's nothing we could do. Condemned. Lost. If we die in that state, we'd be lost forever. No second chances. Torment 
forever. God does not want that for any one of us. And he loved us so much. You know what he did? He had a way. And by the way, the plan of salvation was before anything was ever created. It was in place. He had a way and he said this, I love you so much, I'm gonna send my son, God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world. You notice he doesn't have something we have. He didn't have any sin. But when he went to the cross of Calvary, that sin, our whole lifetime of sin, he took it upon himself and he died on the cross and he made the complete payment for sin. He paid it all, nothing left for us to pay for. And he rose from the grave to prove it was done And he says this in his word, that if you will believe in him, and that word means to trust in him or put your faith in him, he gives you two promises. One, you won't perish, that would be go to hell. And the other one is you have everlasting life, and that would be the very life of God, and you go to heaven, okay, everlasting life in heaven. So there it is again. Let me show it to you again. John three sixteen. you notice it on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You might say, well, wait a minute. If Jesus paid for the sins of everybody and everybody's going to heaven, right? No, you have to put your faith in him to make it good on your behalf. You could reject the payment, in essence, saying, no, you know what, I'll take care of it myself. Well, if you die in that condition, you're lost forever. The only way you can have the forgiveness of sins is by trusting in Christ that he made that payment. And when you do, you are forgiven, he gives you everlasting life. You can have that right now. I've never heard that before, but you heard it now. You heard it now, okay? Don't think because you never heard it that it's not true. We get this often. When we do fair evangelism, when we witness the people, people, I've never heard it like that before. I do a funeral or a wedding or whatever. People come up. I've never heard it before, what you just said. I've never heard it that way before. It's in the Bible. We didn't come up with this. It's in the Bible. And it's the most wondrous thing in all the world. Now, once you've trusted Christ as Savior, he gives you everlasting life. Okay? And so what is that everlasting life? That is permanent. In other words, that's something that never changes once you have it. You might say, how do you know that? Well, last week we covered three reasons why. The first one was salvation is permanent because Christ paid for all sin. Listen, if all your sins are paid for, then what is it that's going to send you to hell? All your sins have been taken care of. There is no condemnation. There's nothing left for you to pay for. Jesus did it. Secondly, Salvation is permanent because believers have been declared righteous by God himself. The Bible word for that is you're justified, okay? You're justified, you're declared righteous. It's a legal term to where the judge says, not guilty. When you trust in Jesus Christ that he paid for your sins, see, he's the one who paid your fine and it's taken care of. God can say, You're not guilty. Now, if God says you're not guilty, then you're not guilty because he's the one who controls the whole thing. Number three, salvation is permanent because, as I've already covered, everlasting life is everlasting. Doesn't that just make sense? But let's move on. Number four, salvation is permanent because God promises, promises to never lose the one who trusts in Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, what could be more assuring than that? God is in control of the keeping and he promises that he won't lose us. That should settle the issue on eternal security once and for all. I mentioned this last week, but let me mention it again, okay? Look up here, illustration. If this is me 
And this is God. When I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I took him as my Savior. He saved me. Okay, as we're going to see, I am in his hands. If you've trusted Christ, you're in his hands. The reason we are saved is not because we keep holding on, because we can get better, we can sin, we can have a bad attitude towards God. There's a lot of reasons. And so in a sense, every time we sin, in a sense, we let go. But here's the truth, folks. He never lets go. He never lets go. And he promises to not let us go. Now, if it was me saying to you, I'll never let you go, well, I'm only a human. I could let you go. I could fail. But guess what? God never fails. Look with me to chapter 6 of John. I so love these verses. Verse 37, look at it. It says this, all that the Father giveth me, Jesus is speaking, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise, in no way, cast out. Boy, that makes it clear. But he continues, verse 38, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which has sent me. Now stop, hold it, hold it, hold it. Jesus said, if we come to him by faith, he will in no way cast us out. And then he said, I came down to do the Father's will. He's the one who sent me. I came down to do the Father's will. You might say, well, what is that? Verse 39, this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. You notice it doesn't say they hopefully will not lose themselves. No, he says, I will lose nothing. Verse 39 states the will of the Father. See, we are secure. Listen, folks, we are secure because Jesus promises to never lose us. That's why we're secure. We're not secure because we're faithful. We're not secure because we continue on. We're not secure because we do our best. We are secure because Jesus said, I will never lose you. Not only that, listen, if we can be lost after having been saved, then Jesus Christ is a failure, and Jesus Christ, therefore, would be disobedient to the Father. Now think about that. Because the Father's will would, was that Jesus would come, and those who would come to him by faith, the Father's will was that he would never lose them. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. What was that? Was to save and keep saved those who come by faith. If we can be lost after having been saved, then Jesus is a failure and would be disobedient. That, of course, is impossible. For he was perfectly obedient in fulfilling the will of the Father. Why? Well, one reason is because he's God himself, and another reason is because he can't fail. He can't sin. If he had been disobedient to the Father, he would be sinning. That would be disobedience, and that would be sin, and that would make him not God. Yet he is God, and God can't sin. Listen, I don't know if this is good language or grammar or what, but listen carefully to this. We are as secure in Christ as Jesus is God. I guess that's okay, English. We are as secure in Christ as Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He came to do the will of the Father, and the will of the Father is that he wouldn't lose anybody. So Jesus makes sure of it that he doesn't lose us, and he can't fail in that. 
So if I can't be lost because Jesus is the one who keeps me, I'd say I ought to be able to rejoice over that, and we can. Number five, salvation is permanent because our eternal God does not give birth to temporary children, okay? Eternal God does not give birth to temporary children. On a human level, when you were born, you became the child of your birth parents. There is nothing, I'll repeat that, there is nothing you can do to undo the fact that you're a child of your birth parents. That is a relationship, and no document nor statement can ever change the reality of that physical relationship. You'll have people today, you know, they go over rocky time with their children, and they'll say to their children, you know what, you are such a rebel, you're so bad and all that. I am through with you, I disown you. Let me ask you something. Does that person, does that rebellious child ever not be their child? No. They're that, they're their parent's child regardless of whether they disown, quote unquote. It doesn't change biology. It doesn't change what took place. That birth child is the birth child and that birth child will be that child for the rest of their life. Regardless of how they live, regardless of how they act. Now, in the spiritual realm, we who are saved, should we live for Christ? Absolutely. But is that what you have to do to keep saved? Absolutely not. We are kept saved by the power of God, not by us. Salvation is permanent because our eternal God does not give birth to temporary children. Now, if, if the fact that no matter what you do once you have children, those kids are yours for the rest of your life, if that is true in the physical realm, Certainly it is true in the spiritual realm. Let me say this this morning. The idea of becoming unborn is nowhere, I repeat, nowhere in the word of God. You will not find it anywhere in scripture to where you can become unborn once you're born again. Turn with me to John chapter one. And it says in John chapter one, verse 12, but as many as received him, him referring to Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, to who? Even to them that believe on his name. Now the word even there, you see it's italicized. That means it's, it was added. It's not in the original text, okay? The point is emphasizing those are the ones who receive eternal life. Those are the ones who become a child of God. As many as received him, how do you receive him? Well, it says at the end of the verse, to them that believe on his name. Jesus, the name means God who is our savior. When you believe on his name, you're trusting in him that he is God who will save you. That's what his name was all about. And then you notice in verse 13, it says this, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How does the new birth come? How do you receive eternal life? How do you become a child of God? Well, it's not of blood. Now, you know what that means? That means you don't go to heaven through your family tree. I've witnessed the people before. I can remember years ago, I, I talked to a woman, I was sharing the gospel, and she says, and, and I said, you know, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? She says, absolutely. I said, how do you know that? She said, my dad was a preacher. She thinks she's going to heaven because her dad's a preacher. Listen, 
Being born into a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian any more than being born in a garage makes you a car. It doesn't work that way. So it's not heritage. Now, listen, we are grateful for a godly heritage. And if you've had godly Christian parents, there's a good chance they may have been the one to lead you to Christ. But you have to decide whether you're going to trust Christ as Savior or not. As somebody said, God has no grandchildren. And that's true. It's only through trusting in Christ that you become a child of God. So it's not of blood. Secondly, it's not of the will of the flesh. In other words, you can't go to heaven by trying hard or by, or by doing good works. Remember, you got to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. There are some people we might consider good in a sense of they live a better, more moral life than somebody else. But the Bible says you have to be perfect. That's why Jesus came to die for our sins. And then it says you're not born by the will of man. And I take that to mean you cannot go to heaven by planning and scheming how you're going to make it happen. And some people do that. Okay, I've got an idea. I think this. I think that. We, in our fair evangelism, amazing the, the reasons people think they're going to heaven. You only go one way. It's through faith in Christ. It's the only way you're saved. See, folks, receiving salvation is a one-time occurrence. When God gives birth to a child and to his family, that child is an eternal child of God. It's the only way he gives birth. Jesus said in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. Nowhere will you find in that passage where Jesus said, you must be born again and again and again and again. Or did he say, you can be born again and again and again and again? No, you must be born again. And the point is this, once you are, you are. Once you're born again, you're born again. You're an eternal child of God. And of course, Jesus later on in the passage says how to be born again, and that's where John 3, 15 through 18 comes in. It's by faith in Jesus Christ, by faith. So once you're a child of God, you're always a child of God. Let's move on. Number six, salvation is permanent because believers, man, this one charges me up. Believers are already glorified in the eyes of God. Now I want you to think about that. This is exciting. Go with me to Romans chapter eight. Salvation is permanent because believers are already glorified in the eyes of God. Now think about that. You might say, I don't feel very glorified today. No, because we're living in these bodies that have been affected by the curse of sin. But when you got saved, your salvation in light of eternity, folks, was complete the moment you trusted Christ as Savior. Let me show you this beautiful passage, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, past tense, and whom he called, them he also justified, past tense, technically it's heiress, but it's past tense, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did I read that right? Yes, I read that right. I was called, yes. I was justified, yes. And according to the text and the grammar, I was glorified. Now, folks, Robertson's word picture says this. The glorification is stated as already 
consummated, though still in the future in the fullest sense. In other words, I have not experienced glorification yet, but in the eyes of God, I have been glorified. Now, listen, you know what that means? That means in, in light of eternity, I have been perfected, I have been glorified. I am, I am there with the Lord. How in the world can you lose your salvation if you have gotten to the point of ultimate salvation? You're already glorified. In God's eyes, you're already there in heaven in light of eternity. Where in the Bible does it say, God says, oh, wait a minute. Now I know you're here with me, but you know what down there, you just flubbed up. You're out of here. I'm taking away your glorification. Would you please show that to me, show that to me in the Bible? It is nowhere in the Bible because it's not true. Once you're saved, you're glorified. No, we have not experienced it yet, but it is as good as done because in light of eternity, it is done. We are already glorified in the eyes of God. If God sees it as an accomplished fact in the past, then it must happen to us in experience in the future. Otherwise, God is not God. He said, I'm glorified. One man put it this way, I'm as sure of heaven as if I'm already there. Now, you know, sometimes we'll share the gospel with people and we'll say to them, you know what? I know if I were to die today, I'd know I'd go to heaven. They'll say, boy, aren't you boasting? No, there's no boast involved in that. And if we're boasting, we're boasting in what Christ did for us, not what we do for God. If it was me earning it, if I was earning my way to heaven, yeah, that would be me boasting, thinking I'm going to get there by my good works. And by the way, there's a lot of lost people who think that. You're saved by your works. You're not saved by your works. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But if it's all the work of Jesus and what he did for me, and I simply accept what he did for me. I trust in him that he did that for me. He saves me eternally based on what he did, not what I do. And therefore, I can say, because as we've seen all these reasons so far, he's the one in control of this, not me. All I do is trust in Christ, and he does the saving and the keeping. And remember, we're kept. Why? Because Jesus can't fail, and he said he would. That was the will of the Father for him, and he's not going to fail. You're in Romans chapter 8. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, our point right now is salvation is permanent because believers are already glorified in the eyes of God. Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to see this. See, here's the truth of it, folks. Here's the truth of it. People who say they're saved, people who say they're Christians, I hope they are. But if you believe you can lose your salvation... Two possibilities. You either got saved and then got messed up on your theology, and that's possible, and that does happen, by the way. Or you've never been saved to begin with because you're still thinking that you can do something by the way you live that's going to determine your destiny. That is works for salvation. I don't say that with pleasure. I say that with grave concern. See, if you think you have to behave to keep it, then you're also saying if you misbehave, you can lose it. Or people say, oh, no, no, if you, if you stop believing. And now, wait a minute, we covered that last week. Okay, the Bible does not teach that anywhere. No, once you're saved, you've got it. I said, well, I, I can't accept that. That's too easy 
Friend, the only reason it's easy is because Jesus did the hard work. He was the payment for sin. See, it's a gift. Yeah, somebody worked to make that gift possible, but it's not you and me. The only way we can get that gift is simply receive it by faith. Ephesians 2, 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. By God's unmerited favor, his undeserved kindness are you saved. And hath, watch this, and hath raised us up together. You notice it says has. It doesn't, or hath, or has. It doesn't say and will one day. This is something that has already taken place for every child of God. If you've been saved by grace through faith, this is true for you right now. Even though it may not be our experience, it is a fact just as real as God is God. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In eternity, I am already seated in heaven. Now, if that is true, and that's a mind blower, but if that is true, then how in the world am I going to lose my salvation? If in God's eyes, I'm already there. I've been glorified, I'm seated. Do you see what I'm saying, folks? This idea that you can lose your salvation, it just does not jive with Scripture. Now listen, there are lots of sweet people who believe in this stuff, but this Arminian theology is wrong. And by the way, people say, well, you're a Calvinist. No, I'm not a Calvinist, I'm not an Arminian, I'm a Biblicist. We believe the Scriptures. One commentator said this, by our union with him, we are seen as already delivered from the present evil world and seated in Christ in glory. That is true. What an awesome God we have. He's just awesome. Let me give you another one. Number seven, salvation is permanent because when you believe you are in God's hands, not your own. Many years ago, when Sue and I got married in 1979, we went on our honeymoon and we landed in, uh, well, not literally landed, but we ended up in a place called Neosho, Missouri. It's about 20 minutes south of Joplin, if you've ever been to Joplin. And we were there to help another couple plant a church. And we went there, and, and of course, because the church was just started, we both had to get secular jobs, and we did. And I worked at uh, Neosho Wood Products. I think that's what it was called, Neosho Wood Products. And basically what they did is they made pallets and they made crates for Evan Rude Motors and things like this. Well, I worked with a guy there. His name was Bill. By the way, Neosho's in the Bible Belt, which what does it mean? It means nothing. Because <laughs> there's a lot of people who live in the Bible Belt who don't understand the Bible, okay? Now, they can be nice people, and, and there are lots of nice people, but they don't understand the Bible, but many years ago, I worked there with a man named Bill, and Bill believed this. I remember witnessing to him. He believed that if he were to sin after he had trusted Christ as his Savior, he needed to confess that sin before he died. And if he died with unconfessed sin, he would burn forever in hell. Now, that sounds noble, but it's nowhere in the Bible. It's nowhere in the Bible. Now, when we said, should we confess that to God? Yes, that restores fellowship, but it doesn't create a relationship. 
That relationship is an eternal one. Remember, I'm an eternal child of God. That's my relationship. How I walk with him, that's another story. In fact, here's what it comes down to, and this is what I told Bill. He didn't accept it, but this is what I told him. I said, Bill, if what you're saying is true, then what you are doing is you are putting your faith in your faithfulness to confess your sin every night or every time you sin. Bill, can I ask you a question? Do you remember all the sins you've ever committed? Well, no. Well, then what are you going to do? His answer was something like, hmm, hmm. Listen, he was not trusting in Jesus Christ completely as his payment for sin. He was still, even though he said, oh, it's through faith in Christ, he's still looking at himself and believing he had to be faithful to some extent to make it to heaven. That is salvation by works, and that does not save. It does not save. I pray that somewhere along the line, Bill trusted Christ alone as his Savior. Look at John chapter 10 in verse 28. It says this, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now this is a great verse showing the security that believers have in Christ. You know, there's an insurance company today. It's, It's all state insurance company. By the way, I love the guy that they have working for them now. Now, I don't know what his real name is, but, but in their commercials, his name is Mayhem. Have any of you seen it? Oh, man, it's a riot. He causes all kinds of trouble for people. And, of course, that's why you need Allstate, they say. But Allstate's motto for decades and decades and decades is what? You're in good hands with Allstate. Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but I can tell you this. When you trust Christ the Savior, you're in good hands with Jesus. You're in good hands with the Father, and you're in good hands with the Spirit. John chapter 10, verse 29. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now, I've had people tell me this. Well, yeah, that's all fine and good, but wait a minute, wait a minute. You miss verse 27. What about verse 27? See, those who believe in a lordship salvation message, they'll go to verse 27. It says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Uh, See it, see it, I know them. And notice what it says, they follow me. And that's why you're saved, because you follow him. Students, what are the three first principles of Bible interpretation? Keep it in context. The context of this passage is not living for Christ. The context of this passage is recognizing the true shepherd and putting your faith in him. That's what the passage is talking about. This is not saying that you have to serve Christ to be saved. That would contradict the entire gospel of John. In context, it is an issue of hearing the voice of Christ as the true shepherd. The sheep who are the believers know who the true shepherd is. They've put their faith in him. It is clear in the context that he's talking about the way of salvation, not living for Christ. Look at verses 25 and 26, which by the way are before verse 27. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye did what? Believed not. That's what he's getting at. Verse 26, but ye believe not. That's what he's getting at. Those who are the true sheep, those who have believed, know who the true shepherd is. 
They hear his voice. They recognize him. Okay, that's where their faith is in him. And what does he say to those who trust in Christ? I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Also in John 10 verse 14, earlier in the chapter, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Let me just make this personal. I wondered up to age 19, is there a way of knowing you're going to heaven? I figured I was, but I was trusting in my works. It wasn't true. Is there a way of knowing? And so I was raised Roman Catholic. I heard what the Jews believed. I heard what the Protestants believed, the Baptists, all these different groups. And I wonder, 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 what what is the right way? Listen, on August 2nd, 1972, when I heard the gospel and I understood it, I trusted Christ as Savior. And guess what? My search was over. I was listening. Who's the truth? Who's the truth? Who's the truth? When I heard the truth, I trusted Christ. I don't search any longer. I know the true shepherd. And I have eternal security because of what he said. See, once you trust Christ, he keeps you never to be lost again. Verse 28, we are secure in the hands of both the Father and the Son, but the Bible goes even further. We'll pick up on this one next week. Again, I didn't get as far as I wanted today. But point eight, and you have it, you can study it this week. Salvation is permanent because a believer is sealed with and by the Holy Spirit. Boy, that's a powerful one. We'll get to that next week. Listen carefully, though, today as we close. Friend, have you ever put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? You might say, I've never even heard this before. You heard it today. I hope it makes sense. Yeah, I've tried to make it as clear as I can possibly make it. Have you ever trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Today, you can receive eternal life. Today, you can know before you ever get up today from your seat, you're going to heaven absolutely 100% for sure because the Bible says so. Would you trust in Jesus Christ today as your Savior? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.